0: All right, uh, let me look ahead here just uh, a little bit. Uh, the first place we're going to be uh, reading together is in Revelation 14. If you want to open your Bibles, get a head start on that, uh, Revelation chapter 14, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Uh, now, it's been, uh, let's see, We uh, was it, has it been two weeks since we last studied? Uh I think the week before the Iwana Awards program was not the previous. Okay, yeah, we did uh, we did study two weeks ago. I had to stop and think about it. Uh, but anyway, the last time that we met together uh, and, and and with this study, we focused our attention uh, on those uh, who will be martyred uh, during the Great Tribulation. Uh, thus far, we've considered four things. Uh, with regard to these uh, martyrs. Uh, First of all, we looked at the context of their martyrdom. Uh, In other words, uh, who exactly are these martyrs? Well, the simple answer to the question is this, they're believers. And by the way, most likely Jewish believers. I'm convinced the vast majority of people that will get saved during the Great Tribulation are Jews. Uh, now, not, you know, there will be Gentiles who will get saved as well, of course. Uh, but if I understand, uh, uh, you know, the Bible, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of those who come to Christ during the Tribulation will be Jews. Uh, that being true, uh, the vast majority of these martyrs Uh, will be Jews as well. And they will be martyred at the hands of the Antichrist because of their refusal uh, to take his mark and worship him. So we looked at the context of their martyrdom. We also looked at the cause of their martyrdom. In other words, why will they be slain? Well, the Bible is very clear. It tells us they'll be slain for the word of God and for their testimony, for the word of God and for their testimony, not just because they are Christians, but because they will be outspoken Christians. Let me tell you something, even today, if you are a closet Christian, y'all know what I mean by closet Christian. A closet Christian is someone who's a Christian, but kind of keeps it to themselves, If you're a closet Christian, and I hope that you're not, and if you are, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. But if you're a closet Christian, uh, you probably are not having to deal with any persecution. It's only when we come out of the closet, right? It's only when we become outspoken about our faith. Uh, and about our testimony, you know uh, you may be a Christian, but if you never talk about jesus uh, you 're probably not going to be given a hard time by this world. you know so if you want to avoid persecution as a Christian, just keep your mouth shut don 't open it don 't mention jesus name don 't tell anybody about jesus don 't tell anyone that you 're a Christian now. That's how you can avoid persecution. Uh, but you do understand you're not going to please God by doing that. Uh, and so, but anyway, why would they be slain? The cause of their martyrdom will be their, their testimony. They will be outspoken Christians. And we also consider the consequence of their martyrdom. In other words, they will be given a place of prominence under The altar. Now, remember, that's where they are pictured as being. Uh, In Revelation, they are pictured as being under the altar. And the reason that's true is because they will have sacrificed their lives for Christ. Just like the blood of the bulls that were sacrificed in the Old Testament, just like that blood was poured out under the altar, uh, the fact that these martyrs are pictured as being under the altar, implies that, that, that they will have offered their lives as a sacrifice to God. Now, we also looked at the cry of their martyrdom. Uh, they're going to be crying out for vengeance, are they not? Uh, and we're not going to go back and look at these verses. And, and if you remember, if you were here two weeks ago, you remember uh, the verses, I'm sure. But they're going to be crying out for vengeance. Now, now let me go back and, let's, and raise this question again. Uh, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he, was not, he did not pray for vengeance for His persecutors or upon His persecutors. He prayed for what? Forgiveness. When Stephen was stoned to death uh, in the book of Acts, he did not pray uh, that, that, you know, for vengeance for his persecutors, but he prayed for what? He prayed for forgiveness. Now, now we come to the Great Tribulation, and here are these martyrs, they're not praying for forgiveness. They're not asking God to forgive their persecutors. They're asking God to to, uh, to, to punish their persecutors. You say, well, I I just don't understand. How how do you you explain that? Well, uh, you remember what we learned a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We're living in the age of grace today. Uh, But the tribulation period, will be a time of judgment. Not Now, there will be people that will get saved, so God's grace uh, will still be available during the tribulation period. Otherwise, people wouldn't get saved. But for the most part, the great tribulation, it's, it's not about forgiveness, it's about judgment. And so when you consider that, the prayer of these martyrs is in keeping with the will of God. Now there's one more thing I want us to consider uh, before we move on uh, to the next subject. One more thing I want us to consider with regard to these martyrs, uh, and that is the comfort of their martyrdom. The comfort. Uh, Now let me show you this verse again. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 11 says, and white robes, were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So you have these martyrs and they're pictured as being under the altar they have sacrificed their lives for God, and they're crying out to God for vengeance upon their persecutors. Did God hear their cry? Yes. And God responded to their cry in this verse. And notice again what God told them. Uh, again, it says, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them, Here was God's response. To their cry, it was said unto them that they should, want rest for a little season until their fellow servants and also their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And so God responded to their cry, but the time has not yet come For God to act upon their request. But so I want you to notice. Even though at that time. God did not grant their request. He did provide them. With at least five comforts. As they wait. Five comforts as they wait. Now you say well what are those comforts. Notice first of all. That God provided them. With refuge. Now remember, now where are they pictured as being in Revelation? They're pictured as being under the altar. Now, the altar is both a place of redemption and it is also a place of refuge. Now, let me make something very clear they're not under the altar because they're hiding, okay? Uh, if you have in your mind this picture, uh, like, you know, like someone is under the bed and they're hiding under the bed and they're peeking out, uh, that's not what's going on here. They're not under the altar hiding, uh, but the, the altar for them is not only a place of, of uh, redemption, it is also a place of refuge. Uh, Donald Gray uh, Barnhart said it like this. Uh, Notice what he said. He said, To be under the altar is to be covered in the sight of God by that merit which Jesus Christ provided in dying on the cross. It is a figure that speaks of justification. These martyred witnesses are covered by the shed blood Of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God does not immediately. Grant their request. For vengeance. He's going to do that later. But he does not do it immediately. But what he does do. In the meantime. He provides them refuge. He also provides them. With ropes. And not just ropes. But we're told that he provides them with white robes. Now you understand that white in the Bible is most of the time a symbol of purity or righteousness. So these martyred saints, they're pictured as being under the altar, a place of refuge, and God has given them white robes to wear. Now, these white robes, first and foremost, are a symbol of the righteousness of Christ. A symbol of the righteousness of Christ, which God gives to every person who puts his faith in Jesus as Savior. Now, let me tell you something about the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is our only hope, for heaven. This white robe does not represent our righteousness, but it represents the righteousness of Jesus. Uh, and uh, let's just look at some verses here. First Corinthians chapter one and verse thirty. Uh, the Bible says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And here's another one, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And here's another one, Philippians chapter 3 in verse 9 says, And be found in him, in Christ, not having our own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now let me illustrate it like this. There are some places that you cannot go. There are some establishments that you cannot enter if you are not dressed properly. Is that not true? Now, most of us probably do not frequent those places that often uh, because they are usually kind of what I call fancy places and usually expensive places. But there are some restaurants you cannot go into if you are not dressed in proper attire. And I remember years ago, uh, even in a convenience store, a lot of times you'd see a sign on the the door that said, you know, no shirt, no service, you know, or something like that. Nowadays, in a convenience store, you don't even have to have clothes on. You can go in a convenience store, start naked, and nobody's going to say anything. Uh, That's how bad things have gotten. But there's still some establishments where you cannot go if you're not properly attired. Let me tell you something. Heaven is a place you cannot go unless you're properly attired. And the only attire that will gain you entrance into heaven is this white robe of righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. And it's not our righteousness. And let me, if you don't have this robe on, there's no way that you're going to get into heaven. And so first and foremost, these white robes symbolizes the righteousness of Christ. But but in addition to that, these white robes symbolize honor. Now, we're all familiar with the practice of clothing being awarded for some sort of of achievement, right? Uh, how many of you? How many of you guys played high school sports? Raise your hand. You play high, uh, okay? Uh, you remember these? Uh, and I, I, I don't know if everybody that played sports got one of these, uh, but uh, but I know that varsity high school athletes are awarded, it's called a letter jacket. How many of y'all have one of these in your closet at home? Okay, I see a couple ladies that have these letter jackets. For being smart. Not for for, okay, not not for being sport, okay. Uh, and so, uh, here's some, and by the way, uh, Brother uh, brother uh, collie I'm sure you've got one of these in your closet. Uh, Masters Golf Tournament winners are awarded a green coat. You got one of these in your closet? He doesn't. He told me, I mentioned that, he told me he played golf today. Uh, But I doubt that you got to be good at golf to get a green jacket. And you have to be good at sports to get a lettered jacket. How about karate masters? What are they awarded? They're awarded a black belt. Man, if you got a black belt, you have achieved something uh, as far as karate or 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 some of those, whatever those uh, martial arts are concerned. You remember when the prodigal son returned home? What does his father do? He, he, He called for the best robe, did he not? To put on his son. Luke chapter 15 and verse 22 says, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And then earlier in Revelation, going all the way back to chapter 3 and verse 5, we're told that white garments will be given to overcomers. Revelation 3, 5 says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Now let me tell you something. In my opinion, there are no greater overcomers than those who sacrifice their lives in order to stay faithful to Christ. Overcomers they are. And so again, these martyrs are crying out to God and asking God for vengeance, for revenge upon their persecutors. God does not answer their requests, or he does not grant their request immediately, but what he does do, he provides them. First of all, with refuge, he provides them also with robes, white robes. And then notice thirdly, he provides them or he will provide them with rest. Now, let's go back to this verse, Revelation 6 verse 11 says, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should, what? Rest for a little season. Now, that phrase, little season, simply means a short period of time. Now, y'all do understand the Great Tribulation, if you take the whole thing, it only lasts seven years. You say, that's a long time. Uh, well, it just depends uh, on, on your perspective of time. Uh, to me, seven years, uh, you know, goes by very, very quickly, uh, I'm 70 years old, and just just yesterday, uh, Linda, I was 63. Just yesterday, I was 63. And all of a sudden, I'm 70. Seven years has gone by, and I wonder, where has the time gone? And so the whole tribulations, we're only talking about seven years from start to finish. And so he says to these tribulation martyrs, he says, rest. For a little season. In other words, they are told to wait. To be patient. I don't know about you, but waiting, I've never been good at it. Uh, and I don't think most people are. Now, some people are more patient than others. Uh, and and I, I, I definitely have more patience than some people I know uh but uh but i more times than not i'm lacking in patience waiting is something that, that you know a couple of things i don't do waiting i don't do well change i don't handle well either and, and, and so those those are two things uh but but i don't have a lot of patience i don't like to wait but he tells these tribulation saints to rest for a little season to wait now, now why does he want them to wait well Here's why he wants them to wait, because there are more who will be joining their ranks. is you that know what he said? He says, rest yet, uh, rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as it were should be filled. And so God is saying, listen, I, I, I'll do it. I'll take care. I, I'm going to grant your request, but I want to do it all at one time. I want to wait until the last drop of blood is shed, the, the last drop of martyr's blood is shed. I want to wait until then, and when that happens, then I'm going to grant your request. And I personally believe that when that last drop of blood is shed, as far as the Antichrist is concerned, it's over. Amen. When God says, enough is enough. When that and by the way, you realize God knows who that last martyr will be. Somewhere there's someone who's going to be that that last martyr, maybe a man, maybe a woman, only God knows that last martyr when that last drop of blood is shed at that Time, it's over for the Antichrist and his reign of terror will swiftly come to an end. But he tells these martyrs, he said, Just wait, be patient. There are others who are going to be joining you. Not only are they told to wait, but that word rest means more than just wait, it means to rest. You know, rest is a wonderful thing, isn't it? The older I get, (laughs) the more I believe that. Rest is a wonderful thing. You know, this should remind us, uh, Revelation 14, verse 13. uh, uh, It says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write. Thank you. And I heard a voice, thank you, Joe. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write, blessed are the dead. Now, that's interesting. The word blessed means happy. So the Bible says, you want to be happy? Be dead. And then what it says? It says, blessed are the dead. Now, he clarifies it, which die in the Lord. Now, if you're not going to die in the Lord... (laughs) then you need to hang on to life as long as you can. If you're not going to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, you want to live as long as you possibly can because the moment you die, let me tell you something, there's no rest for you. But those who die in the Lord. He says, blessed, happy are they who die in the Lord. Why? He goes on and he says, Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may what rest from their labors. When I was sitting on the edge of Brother Dave's bed this week, and he looked up at me with sad, sad eyes, and he says, Pastor, would you pray and ask God to take me to heaven? Why? Would someone want to die? He's tired. Life can be very tiring, especially when you're dealing with illness. And Dave has been, he's been sick for a long time. He's been dealing with kidney failure for many, many years now. And he just slowly, gradually has just I, and, and we've watched him, have we not? And, uh, and, and right now, Dave is just, he is literally skin and bones. He has no meat on his bones whatsoever. He has just deteriorated physically. And he just, I looked into his eyes and I saw someone who was tired. I don't know about you, but when I get really tired, I want to rest. And, and physically, when you get to, when, you know, short of dying, if we want to rest, what do we usually do? We go to bed, right? We go to sleep. Sleep, by going to sleep, we rest. Well, let me tell you something. Death in the Bible is, is oftentimes compared to sleeping because it's only temporary. Uh, because there's a resurrection coming, amen? And we talked about that a while back. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, you just get tired. And, 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 and let me tell you something. I believe one of the most blissful things about heaven is it's is, is going to be a place of rest where those who die, especially especially these tribulation martyrs, can't, I can't imagine, even though it's going to be a relatively short period of time, can't imagine all that they're going to go through But rest is a wonderful thing. But let let me stop here and say this. There is a kind of rest that we as believers can experience this side of heaven. There is a kind of rest that we as believers can experience without dying. You say, what kind of rest are you talking about? And I'm not talking about laying down at night and sleeping. That's, That's rest but I'm thinking of a spiritual rest. And and, and what I have in mind here is the rest that comes uh, as a result of putting our trust in God and just turning it all over to Him. Have you ever struggled with something, you know, a problem, an issue, maybe a health issue, maybe not a health issue, a problem or a situation you struggle with, uh, and, and 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 it just it, 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 it just it wearies you and wearies you and wearies you. And then finally, one day, you're able, by God's grace and mercy, you're able to just release that to him completely and just turn it over to him. What happens when God takes that burden? From us, then we experience what I call rest, or or maybe maybe a more appropriate word would, the word would be the word peace, the peace that comes when we're able to trust God with our problems and with our struggles and with our situations. It, isn't it sweet? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When you're able to just let it go. <laughs> And say, okay, God, I, I don't have any choice. I'm just going to put all this in your hands. I'm going to leave it with you. And we walk away and we have such peace in our heart as a result of that. We feel like a new person. We're the same person. It's just the burden is gone. Joe? Uh, I think Philippians 4 is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Yes. The Lord. And give with thanksgiving. But he says, the peace that passes all understanding will keep your your mind If you've ever experienced that peace, you know what we're talking about. Psalm 16, verse 9 says Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in what? hope. Hope in what? Hope in God. Hope in His Word. Hope in His promises. My my flesh also shall rest. And we're not talking about dying there. You don't have to die to experience this rest. Psalm 37 verse 7. The Bible says, rest in the Lord. (laughs) Rest in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And wait patiently for Him. And that what God's going to tell those tribulation martyrs, He's going to say, rest a little while, just wait. Psalm one sixteen verse seven says, "Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee." Psalm one thirty two verse fourteen says, "This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it." Hebrews four three says, "For we." which have believed to enter into a rest. Into a rest. You know, we oftentimes hear Christians uh, compare going to heaven uh, to entering the promised land. You know, crossing over Jordan, uh, and, uh, and, and, and and a lot of people compare that to death. You know, when we die, we cross over Jordan and we're finally in the promised land. I personally don't believe, believe that's a good comparison. Uh, and and I, I think we can actually cross over Jordan before we die. I don't mean we can go to heaven before we die, but I think we can experience. <laughs> I think we can experience... Uh, some of those things that God intended for Israel to experience in that wonderful land that He gave them. They didn't have to die. I mean, when they went into the promised land, they were still very much alive, were they not? And I believe that there is a rest that God wants us to have and to know and to experience this side of heaven. But the only way we'll ever be able to experience that is just to be able to trust Him as we should as believers in Christ. If you're worrying all the time about this and that, you have no rest. You have no peace. I mean, you're miserable. You may be saved, but you're miserable. And then Hebrews 4 9, one more verse here. Hebrews 4 9 says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people. Of God. That sweet, sweet peace, that sweet rest that comes when we're able to trust God on a daily basis to keep His promises to us. These martyrs will also be provided with retribution. They're crying out for vengeance. God is going to grant their request. Not when they asked for it the first time, but later on, you know, after the the last drop of blood is shed. Uh, Turn, if you will, to Revelation. Well, maybe you're already there. Revelation 14, beginning with verse 13. The imagery that God uses here to describe what's going to happen uh, is just, uh, it's very, very sobering. Beginning with verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead. We read this a moment ago. Which dine the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they shall rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that said on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Verse 17, and another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had the power, had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into, look at this and this, the great wine press of the wrath of God. The imagery here is of a, of a vineyard. Now I've never worked in a vineyard. Anyone know, ever worked in a vineyard? Uh, I've never actually harvested grapes. Uh, but the picture here is of there's a vineyard and the grapes are ripe and 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 the the grapes are being cut from the vines and they're being put in the what do you call that you call that the press or the vat the wine vat the the wine press now now one of those grapes put in that in that press what do they do to those grapes they squeeze them and when they squeeze them the juice the juice flows and, and, and this, this the, 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 the symbolism here, this, is a, this represents the, the wrath of God being poured out uh, on the Antichrist and his followers. Uh, and this is retribution uh, for those martyrs who have died, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and whose souls are seen as being under the altar. And this is retribution for them and and they are put into this wine press. Uh y'all remember uh y'all remember that episode of I Love Lucy? That's about as much as I know about making wine, you know. I s that's gotta be one of the funniest episodes of I Love Lucy, you know. I can still see her. You know, in that, and and that's how they used to do it in the olden days. Uh, They didn't have a press. They just, they used their feet and they just stomped them and pressed them with their feet. Uh, The end result was the same. The juice uh, was separated from the fruit and the juice (coughs) flows. And and that juice uh, is a symbol of the blood that will be shed. You say, well, well, how do you know that? It says, the great winepress of the wrath of God, verse 20, and the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Here we see the martyr's cry for justice being answered when The blood of their persecutors, their oppressors, is flowing in a stream that's five feet deep and 200 miles long. That's a lot of blood. The retribution is coming. uh, But there's also, God's also going to provide them with a reward Even prior to their heavenly reward, they will be given a place of honor or a place of prominence during Christ's earthly reign. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 4 says, And I saw thrones. Did I mess up again? There we go. Henry, this thing is just too sensitive, like you. Have you all noticed it doesn't take much to make Henry cry anymore? That's not a bad thing, by the way. And it happens to all of us as we get older, I'm telling you for sure. But he says, he says, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw, look at this, the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. Now notice, notice the reward. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So they cry out for vengeance. Eventually, when the last drop of martyr's blood is shed, God grants their request. And we see retribution, righteous retribution. And that's followed by a great reward. Uh, These tribulation martyrs, I believe, will be given places of prominence in Christ's coming kingdom. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about the eternal heaven. I'm talking about the millennium the 1,000-year reign of Christ upon this earth. And so they go from being Brother Darren under the altar to being on thrones. Think about that. You say, man, I sure would like to sit on one of them thrones one day. Wouldn't you, Joe? <laughs> Joe says, no, not me. <laughs> Uh, come on, let me be honest. Tucker, you like to sit on one of those thrones one day? He says no, too. I know why they're saying no, because the only way we can be sure of sitting on one of those thrones is if we're willing to occupy that space under the altar. And that place under the altar is reserved for a very special group of believers. Very special group of believers who sacrifice their all. I, I believe, and I, I believe that 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 this doesn't just apply to the tribulation saints. I believe tribulation martyrs. I think it applies to martyrs of all ages. I think Stephen is going to be sitting on one of those thrones, Amen. and all those who have given their life uh in 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 you know as a sacrifice to god willing to die literally die to remain true and faithful to him god is going to reward them with a very very special reward special crown a special place of prominence we mentioned uh And we're out of time tonight, but we mentioned uh, two or three weeks ago, maybe longer than that, we mentioned the 144,000. Next week, we're going to begin looking at that group. We looked at the tribulation martyrs. We focused on them. Now, there's another group of people that are very prominent in Revelation, and, and that are these folks who make up this 140, these are not martyrs. In fact, these this 144,000, God is going to protect them from martyrdom. They will not die as martyrs. They will be sealed by God. And that seal will not only identify them as being God's servants, but it will also protect them from the Antichrist. Uh, and so, uh, it's, this is a very special group of people. And there's 144,000 of them. Why 144,000? Well, there's 12,000 from each tribe. What does that tell us? They're Jews. They're Jews. 144,000 Jews. He said, Man, I, I, I hope I'm one of those 144,000. <laughs> You're not going to be. <laughs> unless you have some Jewish blood flowing in your veins that you don't know anything about. These are Jews. 12,000 from each tribe that God will select, that God will choose, and God will seal. And they will have a very special purpose during the Great Tribulation. And by the way, let me just stop here and say this. There's going to be a lot more than 144,000 people in heaven. You understand that? Amen. And, uh, and, and some people interpret this to mean that this is how many people... I think what it is the Jehovah's Witnesses used to teach that that they're only going to be 144,000, and and they they believed that until until they grew beyond 144,000, and uh, and so they had to adjust their belief a little bit, you know, uh, and uh, and and so and I don't even know if they're going to be there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Only if God remembers. Them. Amen. Let's stand together. We're gonna. Uh, you want to jump ahead in Revelation, read about these 144,000, and uh, you read about them in Revelation chapter 7, uh, and uh, if you want to jump ahead and study a little bit before we get here next week, let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, uh, uh, we are so blessed, uh, and I want to thank you first and foremost for that that robe of righteousness that you have given uh, to each of us those of us who put our faith and our trust in Christ uh, and because we understand that that righteousness is the only way that we'll ever be able to enter heaven. We have to be attired in proper attire and the only attire that, that will get us or gain us interest into heaven is the righteousness of your son. And only those who put all their trust in Jesus receive that righteousness and all others, all others will be without it. And and so, God, we thank you for that, that righteousness. And, and, and Father, I don't know how difficult uh, it's going to get even, even before the tribulation begins. I know that in this world, even today, it's becoming more and more difficult uh, to, to be a Christian, an outspoken Christian, uh, a Christian who, who, uh, who shares his or her faith. it's just becoming more and more difficult all the time. And I'm sure that that's that's a trend that's not going to change ever. And uh, I just pray, God, that you would give us uh, grace uh, and and strength and, and the determination that we need not only to be outspoken Christians, but, Father, to be willing to endure whatever may come as a result of that. And I don't know if we'll ever be put in a position where we'd have the opportunity to die for our faith. But God, I pray if that, that day were to ever come, that you would give us the courage to do that uh, and that you would remind us at that moment that, uh, that, that they may take our life, but they cannot touch our soul. And the moment that our life ends, our soul will be in heaven with you. Uh, and so, God, for those of us who know Jesus, death is not something to be feared, but in a way is something to look forward to. Uh, and, God, I thank you for the rest that we can have even before heaven. This side of heaven, Lord, is we're able to trust you on a daily basis and walk with you. And, uh, and God, give us more and more of that rest. Help us to be able to release uh, everything to you, Lord. Uh, and uh, and to receive in exchange that blessed peace that uh, as Joe mentioned, as your Word tells us, passes all human understanding. Father, bless us as we leave here now. Bless our our young people, our teens tonight as they uh, uh, are in Bible school and, and Extreme Truth again tonight. Lord, we thank you for those who've been saved, and we pray for others to come to know Christ uh, before this is over. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen.